We're going to open the scriptures this morning. You can follow along with me in your Bible or on the screen as we prepare to hear Tim's message. Um, This is from Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. Now it happened in those days that Jesus went onto the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When day came, he summoned his disciples and picked out 12 of them and called them apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He then came down with them and stopped at a piece of level ground where there was a large gathering of his disciples. There was a great crowd of people from all parts of Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and be cured of their diseases. And people tormented by unclean spirits were also cured. Everyone in the crowd was trying to touch him because power came out of him that cured them all. That's Luke chapter 6, 12 through 19, and this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> what do you think about this quote? What do you think about this quote? <clears throat> Way back in 1654, Blaise Pascal wrote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All the women are out of that equation, so um, they're saying, yes, that is true. But put yourself in that. All humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Is that true? And what does that even mean? What is the benefit of sitting quietly in a room alone? What did Blaise Pascal think would happen by sitting quietly in a room alone? Well, some psychologists at Virginia and Harvard I mean, 2014 kind of tested this, and so they put together a study that would seek to find out what it meant for people to sit quietly in a room alone. So they just set up the study. They had people come, sit quietly in a room alone with their own thoughts for 15 minutes. And then afterwards, they just asked them questions and what they reported back about that experience. And they reported back that they hated it. Nobody liked sitting quietly in a room alone. So they thought, well, that's not a very interesting study. Let's add to this. So they put a button in the room that participants could push the button and receive an electrical shock, just to make things more interesting, I guess. And uh, so they wanted the people to understand what this meant, so they gave them the shock, so they felt it, and then they asked them, would you like to have this shock again? And all the participants said, no, we would pay money not to be shocked again. So how would you do? What would you do? You're in this room. Imagine yourself. Maybe even right now you would like me to ask you, who wants to volunteer to go sit in a room by themselves? Anybody? Oh, all kinds of people want to go. Wait, you don't want to listen to me talk? I just, I turned that on you. I'm sorry. Um, That wasn't fair. So these people put in a room, the button's there, the researchers leave and they say, okay, we're going to leave you for a little bit with your own thoughts. No pencil to twirl, no cell phone, no book to read. But you can push this button if you'd like. So they go. Here's the shocking results. Two-thirds of men pushed the button. Only one quarter, 25% of women pushed the button. But it's just so fascinating. 
Susie actually, I told her about this. She's, she just had this confused look on her face, and she said, why? And the researchers wondered that same thing. They're like, why? And I think there's just something in this study that shows that we humans are just not good at sitting in a room alone with our thoughts. And that's not a judgment statement. It just is who we are, and we need to understand that about ourselves. Well, if I can just rant at you a little bit. So next time you have the opportunity to sit quietly in a room by yourself, um, don't push the button. Don't pick up your phone and look at social media to make yourself feel bad about what other people are doing or eating that you don't get to participate in. Don't look at your phone and find out on social media all the opinions people have that are just going to make you mad. Just leave your phone in your pocket and try to create some space in that silence for God. All right, we are in this Soulful Living series, and I must admit it cannot come at any better time in my life um, for this series. I'm very drawn in right now about this. Um, Some of you know that I have ants in my pants. It's hard for me to sit around. It's hard for me to sit still. Um, And that just a little bit of my personality, my drive. But also, I must admit that in full disclosure, I can sit still. I do sit still. And I've certainly over my life developed spiritual practice of being still. So I can do it. But I'm excited to take the next step, not just to ride the wave of my past practices, but really to take it up the next notch in my stage of life and where I'm at. So I'm excited about this Soulful Living series. And last week, Susie introduced us um, to the concentric circles of Jesus' life, the rhythm that he had that Susan just read about from Luke. That in the center, the hub, is Jesus going off in the mountainside alone to pray. That he went off and he was filled with God alone. And then he gathered his 12 disciples. He had the spokes out to community, to people, to relationships. And then final external circle is the work that Jesus was called to and that he had in ministry. So that's the soulful living um, space we're in for this series, and we are talking this morning about the center. And Susie also kind of talking about the center, talked about this Jewish practice of Sabbath, of how the Jewish people have this rhythm that Sabbath, on Sabbath, they pour wine into a glass until it's overflowing. And just this image in your life of being filled being filled up with something that's good and sweet and enjoying it and letting it come to the top of the glass and overflow. And that overflow is the place that you have to give to people. So that's the image of being filled with God. And it is a beautiful thing to think about how we can be filled and that overflow is the gift we give out to the world. But the question really is, what are you filling your life with? You know, here's an empty glass, and you're thinking about your week ahead. What are you going to fill your life with? And there's many options. And you could think about filling your life with something else, something of organic matter from the garden out in front that has chunks and gloppy. Ooh. And it overflows. And that's still the overflow of your life, that you are sharing with people. 
that's the question. What are you filling your life with? Jesus started at that center place, going off to the mountainside to pray, to be alone with God and to be filled so that he could then go out and do what he could do because of that. So in silence, solitude, and stillness, Jesus was filled, and then he went out. And this idea of silence, solitude, and stillness is simply the posture that we take before God to open ourselves up, to be in his presence, to receive from him. There's really two parts. There's our part and God's part. You're thinking about your part of simply bringing yourself to God, making yourself available, being in his presence, and being aware of that, and also giving your full attention to God in that space. And what's God's part? God's part is to then do the filling, to do the filling that he fills you up to overflowing, and that overflow is what then you have to offer to the world around you. And it's a relationship God brings fully himself, you bring fully yourself, and that math together makes the whole. Well, maybe this is a very obvious statement to say, but um, sometimes bringing yourself before God and meeting with God can be like sitting in a room alone with your thoughts. Because God is not visible to us. God doesn't often speak in an audible voice. And so as a result, we are bringing ourselves into this uncomfortable place that we don't like. We just simply, as human beings, don't like being alone with our thoughts. And so, there's a challenge for us in bringing our part. There's some work to do, but it's good work. And there's this amazing thing that in the awe and mystery and wonder of God, that when you show up, God shows up. That there is a relationship that happens. There's a meeting, there's a communion I have a part to play. God has a part to play. And so that first part for me is to simply accept that it can be hard, but I'm going to work through that. I'm going to bring myself to God, and I'm going to do what it takes because I'm hungry to meet with God. There's also something we have to accept about God and how God speaks to us. In accepting that situation of how it works, we just have to say, that's how it works, and I'm okay with that. So when you think about God speaking to you, how does God speak? What's God's voice like? What's his tone as you imagine God speaking? It seems that often when we think about God, and especially in the scriptures, we get these images of God's voice is powerful and big and huge. So like at creation, God speaks, his voice speaks, and creation happens. Just things come into existence. So that is sometimes the idea that we have about God, that in power he speaks. Psalm 29 writes a poem about this, which is very powerful. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. 
And I hear this, and I think, yes, I want to hear from God in his powerful voice. I think I do. I want his clarity. I want the, like, knownness and definitiveness of him speaking, that power. But then I really think about that, and I wonder, do I really want to hear God in that powerful way? You know, you just think about having coffee with me this week, and if I show up, and I'm just shouting at you the whole time, how does that feel? Gail's saying, that's how Tim greeted me this morning. (sighs) And I do that enough as it is, but isn't it not necessarily how we want to be in relationship? A different image of God's voice comes from Elijah. This great example of Elijah on Mount Horeb, or Mount Carmel, um, having this showdown, and God showing up, sending fire from heaven to burn up the bull and the altar and the water and just the power and majesty of God. And after that, Elijah gets discouraged. He is down. He needs to be filled up by God once again. And here's what it says about how God speaks to Elijah. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I think that I want God to speak to me in the still, small voice where he's caring for me, meeting me, filling me up. So often we look for the amazing, the impressive, the powerful. And yes, God does speak in that way. God is that way. But that is not often how God meets with us when we are alone with him. So how would you like to be talked to by God? Well, silence, solitude, stillness. Those three words represent the posture that we bring when we bring ourselves into the presence of God, to be available to him, to hear from him, just to simply be with him. If you think about each of those words, each of those words can stand alone. You know, silence, for example. You know, we can, in this group as a room, be silent together. We're not alone, but we can be silent. And sometimes in worship, we take a moment to be silent, to be open and listen, but we're together. Or maybe you can think about solitude. You can go off by yourself and be alone and have a lot of noise around you. You can pray out loud. You can sing. You can listen to something or read something. You're alone, but you're not quiet. And same for still. You can be still with people around you. You can be still with noise happening around you. And what is interesting, it seems to be the combination of these three things, 
coming together and working together, silence, solitude, and stillness together that makes something even greater than what the sum of the three parts are. So, silence. Silence is to quiet yourself. Solitude. Solitude is to separate yourself. And stillness. Stillness is to calm yourself. So when Jesus went off to the mountainside to pray, he was obeying the command of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus took himself away from the crowds. He quieted himself. He calmed himself and brought himself into the presence of his Father to be filled up. So in this command, there's two parts. Be still. Be still. Make yourself still before God so that you can be open to him. And then there's a second part. And know that I am God. And that's the filling part where God fills us up. Where we hear from him, we receive from him, we're filled up by God. Two parts. Be still and know that I am God. Your part is to be still. That's what you bring. And God's part, God brings the filling. And I think the filling happens in that, and know that I am God. There are three things that God brings to us to fill us up in that way. The first is God fills us up with who he is. So it's the know that I am God to know that, to fill your mind with knowing that God is in control. Filling your heart, filling your heart with knowing that God cares for you. And filling your body, filling your body with knowing that God has plans for you. We fill ourselves up with God in the stillness. And in that stillness, we say to God, you are God. And let God fill you. Second thing God fills us up with, God fills us up with who you are. So in this way, we come to God and and say to God, I am yours. I am yours. And we receive from God our identity receive from God our place in this life. We receive from God our acceptance, our approval, our enoughness. We receive from God who we are. And we recognize that we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own, but we belong to God. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been adopted into the kingdom of heaven. That is who we are, and we're filled up with that. Then the third thing, you know, God fills us up, not just for our own enjoyment to drink from the cup, but that there would be overflow. And God fills us up with overflowing love, this love that he wants to lavish on the world, 
It's not just for you, but it is to go out and to be shared. A filling to overflowing with love. Well, how do we do this? This is the practical question. Those are nice ideas, but how do you do this? How do you be still and know that I am God? It could be simple enough to say, you close your mouth, you go off by yourself, and you sit down. You know, there's no great formula to this being still. You know, there's no, like, mystery of the past that, you know, once you know that mystery, it'll unlock more of God. There's no formula in that way except the formula of showing up in a posture that is open to God and then letting him meet you there. Simply being intentional to put yourself in a place where you can meet with God, opening yourself up to God. You know, this being still is accessible. It is hard, as the study showed, it's hard to be alone in a room by yourself with your own thoughts. But when we accept that reality and we still push forward to be still and to meet with God, it is accessible. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more you do it, the deeper and richer it becomes. As you're hearing this and thinking about this for yourself this morning, if you'd like to read something more or watch a YouTube, in the sermon notes in the program, I put a couple of things, an article by Felina Horitz and a little YouTube clip by Thomas Keating talking about contemplative prayer and practically about being still. And I encourage you to pursue learning about this and practicing this yourself. But I want to give us the opportunity to practice in a very simple way, to practice stillness. So I'm borrowing these, this list from Michael Hyatt of, you know, some things you can do to practice stillness and to put it into your own life and to make yourself available to God. So here's the list of things to just simply do, not a really complicated thing, just what you can do to direct yourself into the practice of stillness. So first, schedule a time. Second, find a place. Third, set a timer. Four, relax your body. Five, quiet your mind. Six, be present. Seven, learn to return. So, first thing, schedule a time. Hopefully, even right now, you're thinking about when can I schedule this in my day for tomorrow? When I wake up in the morning or before you go to bed? Or maybe you know that in your schedule and your day at work, you know there's a space where you can just plug in some stillness. So, write that down. That's the time. And then second is to find a place. You know, what is the place where you are going to go, the same place every day, to make it a habit and to participate in that practice. So maybe it's finding a chair, or maybe the side of your bed. Finding a place where you are going to do this each day and meet with God. And third, set a timer. This is where you can use your phone. I know you're all happy about pulling out your phones now, but setting a timer on your phone with a little alarm is going to free you from thinking about how long have I been doing this? How much more time? And when it's like taking forever to get through that three minutes and you're just stuck there, 
You just let the, the timer do that for you. You don't have to worry about it. The timer will tell you when to stop. Just removes that. So set a timer. And then relax your body. So feet flat on the floor, hands folded in your lap, perhaps your eyes closed, either head bowed, or perhaps head lifted in a different posture of openness. But you're just resting your body. And then to quiet your mind. Yeah, I love the idea of the stream of consciousness, where there's this like river flowing through my brain at all times, and things just float by. And I have the opportunity to pick that thing up and think about it, or I can just let it float by. And quieting your mind is just accepting the fact that it can be hard to be quiet. And just to give yourself grace to let things go by and not worry about those things. Quieting your mind. And then being present. Not thinking about something in the past or anticipating the future, but simply being present to that moment right there and saying to God, God, I am here. You are here. We are here together. Being present to God and open. And finally, learn to return. I really appreciate this idea from Michael Hyatt because it's this idea of returning to a place where you've experienced peace in the past, which I know is against number six of going into the past, but going to this place where you have felt peace in the past and letting that be a space in your mind where perhaps you can meet more easily with God. You know, for me, um, an example of a place that I go is my grandparents' house, the edge of their bed, looking out the window. Um, they lived out in the country, and they had a dirt driveway up their house, and they lived on a hill. So the window looked out over the driveway. Um, and an image and a memory of me from a kid was every time we went to visit Grandma and Grandpa, we'd drive up that driveway, we'd see the house, and Grandma would be sitting on the bed, looking out the window, and be waving at us, welcoming and greeting us in. And I remember also sitting with her on that bed, looking out the window. And so a place I imagine is sitting on the edge of that bed, looking out, waiting and anticipating for God to arrive. So that's an example of going to a place of peace and letting that you use that for your time of silence. Well, Will you do this this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Will you try it out? Have that time set in your mind? Do you have that place picked out? And then just to commit 5, 10, 15 minutes, just being there for God to meet with you. Well, to warm you up, let's practice for one minute, just one minute. So if you would right now, put down your paper and pen that you were writing down your commitment to do it this week. Um, feet flat on the floor. Fold your hands. Place them in your lap. Close your eyes. And you can either bow or lift your head. And to quiet your body, relax your body, and just acknowledge that your body is calm right now. To also quiet your mind to let things float by as they float through, and to be present to God right now. I will start my one-minute timer. 
We will say, we are here. God, you are here. We are here together. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for the great invitation to be in your presence, to be with you. Give us your grace to work through the human difficulty of creating space and place and posture to meet with you. I pray that we would have a sense of joy to come. And that you would encourage us in meeting with you. Give us what we need. Fill us up to overflowing. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.